I know I met Zach Levine at 19. We worked together for about six or seven weeks before we got drafted. And I introduced play present and next play speed. And he was like, oh, I need this so bad. He's like, man, if I'd have had this back in high school, man, I'd been so much better. He knew he needed it and he practiced it and he practiced it. That was our guest for today, Graham Betchart. You can hear more from Graham very soon, and he has some great stories that we'll hear in the episode. But first, we want to say a big thank you to Grenade High Protein Bars and Performance Nutrition. Grenade are available in the top retailers in Ireland, including Centra, Circle K, Dunn's, Super Value, or Tesco. Our favourite product is definitely the Carb Killer High Protein Bar. It's 23 grams of protein, less than 2 grams of sugar, so it's perfect for post-workout treat, midday snack, or something for any time of the day. You can check out their full range at grenade.com. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high-performing individuals tick, why they do what they do, and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons, and learnings. Welcome to Sleepy Perform Repeat, episode number 111. Today we spoke with Graham Betchart, mental performance coach, recording artist, and Train the Mind co-founder. Graham Betchart is one of the world's leading mental performance coaches. He has worked with some of the NBA's premier athletes, including Aaron Gordon, Ben Simmons, Carl Anthony Towns, and Andrew Wiggins, and professional organizations such as True Ventures, Silicon Valley Bank, and the Utah Jazz. Graham aims to take everyone he works with to the next level in terms of the mental game. In this episode, we talk about putting in proactive internal work and understanding being uncomfortable and vulnerable from the age of 19 to going through the pandemic for Graham. Part philosopher, part psychologist, Graham unpacks grounding and why it's important, mental skills training, and moving minds with music. We talk about what MVP stands for, why living in the now is key for health. We talk about training the mind, embracing the process, and being present, being where your feet are. We explore the language to use for children in relation to mental skills, why accepting failure and learning from it is integral to be successful. This episode was full of stories and positive energy. Energy. Thanks for sending good vibrations, Graham. Graham Betchart, thanks a million for getting up early this morning. We're both very thankful to have you on. How are you doing? Good, and it's my pleasure. I'm grateful to be on. I appreciate you guys having me. Look, we're a, we're a big admirer of your work, Graham. We're not going to lie. What have you managed to take from all the experience that you have in terms of the mindset piece, the mental skills piece that's maybe served you well to what has been a pretty turbulent last year, if we want to put it that way. Well, I think it, uh, it really just gave me a foundation. You know, This gave me something to tether to when I was 19 years old. And so it always gave me the structure and the pathway to do the internal work. When you get vulnerable, when you get uncomfortable, when you go into the unknown, and of course, 2020, it, I mean, it gave me a foundation to, to be comfortable being uncomfortable, you know, to to live out that victory goes to the vulnerable. I, I felt vulnerable just like everyone else still do, but it's uh, knowing what to do in that situation and then being willing to do it. I just surrendered to what I was taught 20 something years ago. And it, it's a foundation that'll get you through the storms for sure. Your journey to now has been incredible. And me and David have admired it from afar, as he mentioned, and it's been made an imprint on us. Can you give us a summary or a quick overview of what you've done in them years and what got you to where you are today? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm so grateful it's helping because when I first heard about, you know, mental skills or mental training, it completely changed my life. And I felt that same gratitude, you know, because as you become aware of this stuff, it it automatically makes you want to share it with other people. You know, I don't know how to explain it. So as I got taught it as a 19 year old, you know, in 1997, going through a tough time, 
I, I just knew in my heart, I was like, oh, I need to share this with everybody. My journey has been about sharing. It's about offering. I, I love basketball, you know, so that's kind of where my journey took me 17 years ago to, to do it with a, a young basketball team. And I just set out to proactively train people with mental skills training. Because what I realized was I don't want to be on the back end saving people in a crisis. I want to be on a front end teaching you a skill set and then empowering you to do the training every day so you can have this skill set, right? Going back to say, hey, when 2020 hit, I'm thankful I had a skill set that I had been practicing. So my journey is about just teaching people how to do it and then maybe giving them some motivation and, and love to start doing the practice every day. And so, you know, my journey's taken me everywhere. You know, I've found myself all over the world doing it, in the NBA doing it. Uh, I filmed a documentary a year ago that, you know, might come out this year. I just signed a television deal to do 20 episodes, uh, just spreading on how you enter the zone. So all, all of this blows my mind. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I didn't see any of this coming, right? I just was like, hey, I got to share this thing in my heart. And uh, the motivation is through the roof when I share. So why don't I just share for life and we'll see what happens, you know? So, and here we are, you know? And just love the fact that you're so, you, you managed to be so proactive with it, right? When we hear mental skills, mental performance, mental preparation, oftentimes it's reactive. It's because there's a problem and, and someone struggled and someone didn't play well, and then they're working on the inside out. You, you've totally flipped it and realized that it's, it's all about the proactivity piece that, that set you up for, for 2020 to be okay for you because you had that tool set already in your locker and just something we need to kind of, I think, pay a bit of energy to for everyone listening to this that acknowledge that this is, is prep work, this is pre-training, this is your activation routine you should be doing as if you're just firing up muscles before you're playing a game on court, guys. A hundred percent, you know, and haunting words that stuck with me in 1997 when I learned to meditate. I learned the power of being present. I uh, learned the power of affirmation, of being whole, of not identifying as the sport you play. And the thing that was so haunting was my teacher said, you have to practice this every day. And I knew in that moment I had been cheated because I was like, I should, be, should have been started at five. You know, like I should start at five years old becoming aware so I can build this skill set. So as a proactive mental skills coach, I'm basically a teacher. You know, so you go around and you teach, just like someone teaches you the alphabet when you're young. And then later on in life, you learn to write. You know, you can eventually learn to do write a book, but you can't just write a book when the first time you learn it. And so my approach was always like, hey, we, if we're saying the words mental health, and so like, just like someone would say physical health, we have to have strength coaches out here who train us for this. So mental health to me is about training. And that means you do it when you don't feel this incredible desire of like, oh, I'm so hurt. I need to do it. You do it because you woke up this morning. You do it because you're alive. This isn't something you do because I'm feeling bad. This is something I do when I'm okay. And then I build my skill set. You know, so that the challenge was, of course, you know, 16, 17 years ago when I was doing this a little bit proactively, a lot of people thought I was crazy. You know, they were like, what are you doing? There's a, there's a stigma against this stuff, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I was like, of course, that's the problem. That's why I am doing it. You know what I mean? Because there's some 14-year-old kid out there struggling because we're afraid of a stigma not to get it to her or him. And I just couldn't live with that, you know? So I had to get it to people. It seems like your mission hasn't changed. Um, your work with Train the Mind alongside Aaron Gordon, trying to create a mission-driven company that gives back and helps young children in schools at 14, 15 learn the mental skills that'll help 
Tell us a bit about that endeavor. You know, I appreciate you bringing that up. You know, I got the chance to work with Aaron Gordon, basketball player in the NBA, when he was 13, you know, and he, I didn't know who he was. You know, he just was a kid who was curious, so he bought into it. And by the time he was 16, of course, you were like, oh man, this dude is a beast. You know, he's a different guy. And I remember him telling me, he said, Grant, I said, you know, I got it at 19, Aaron. So the fact that you got it at 13, this is a success, right? We're six years ahead now. And he said to me, he said, hey, well, why can't we get it to five-year-olds, Grant? You know, and I was like, oh, let's go. You know, it, it makes sense. So he had a mission to get it to kids as well, right? So we built Train the Mind to make sure kids had access to all this training. And so I brought on a whole bunch of mental coaches and we put up like four, 400 mental training videos. I have an eight-year-old daughter, five-year-old son my, with my wife, and they're all over YouTube, right? They're all over it. They know how to use all this stuff. So we just wanted to build something that kids already knew how to use and just were able to give them access to it. So we found ourselves partnering with organizations that understand to proactively get it to them. So let's be frank, you know, mental training can be a little bit like, say, broccoli. You cannot wait for your kids to ask for broccoli. You know what I mean? You have to give it to them. And then later on in life, they'll be like, thank you so much for doing that. Now I know what love is. You know what I mean? <laughs> because the truth is, Aaron Gordon, it took him four or five years before he really realized how powerful mental training was. And that's normal for a teenager to kind of be like, yeah, I don't know about this. But then at 19 or 20, you're like, thank God I have this. So we as a society, as a group, have to have fun ways to get it to them when they're young, fun ways to, to make it normal. So my mission does continue, and it continues in any way that I can meet people where they are, um, giving them mental training. And that, that's why we built Train to Mind. And when you're trying to educate a young, a young person, a young human being, um, I have a three-year-old, not quite five, six, or eight, <laughs> but, but you're wanting awesome. that, young, that, young human, that young adult to eat their veggies young, right? Get into the broccoli where does it start? Like, give us a, give us a sample. Give us a little bit of a, a story there for, for the young kid that we can go home and say, look, this is how we're going to help get you to get into a dunk contest in a couple of years' time. <laughs> well, the jumping, I'm not sure how to teach that. I've noticed you yeah. have to be kind of born with, if you can jump over a house, you can do that. But <laughs> <laughs> mental training is a language, right? It's literally a language. I didn't even know the present moment was a thing till I was 19 years old. I'd never heard that language. And at 19, I was like, oh, so then I start practicing being present. If a five-year-old just gets introduced to that language, then they're already aware. So with like my children, first of all, if I tell my kids to like close their eyes and meditate, they're going to laugh at me. You know how it is with your own kids, right? Someone else can tell them and they'll do it. So we don't force anything on our own kids. But what me and my wife do is we let them hear the language all the time. So we always talk about it openly. So they know the language of being present. They know the language of vulnerability. They, they know they've heard mental skills training. So all of this is normal language for them. It starts to be a thing they can practice, just like someone teaching you A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? It's just a way to connect. So I would say with young people, right, you just let them hear the language. You just let them naturally be around it. You communicate. You let them hear it. And what I've noticed is if competitiveness or that, that's naturally in them or not, that, that starts to kick in, you know, whew, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade. You can clearly see it kicking in. What I mentioned before that is just make sure you're, they're hearing the language, you know, and make sure they're becoming aware of it because that language alone gives them a heads up. And a lot of this is linguistics. That's what I've noticed. That's brilliant. If you get the opportunity to impact a young person, it's brilliant. And it obviously has that huge effect on them. 
if, say, an athlete in the NBA, like the list of players you work with in terms of Ben Simmons, Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, Jalen Brown, these guys, if they haven't been exposed to mental skills at a young age, is it difficult to teach the practice when they are, you know, entering the NBA 2021? 20, well, anyone going through a moment can reach out for help, right? So you never know when that moment is when someone's like, hey, I need help right now. So that, that's a spontaneous moment. But what you said is true. The earlier you can plant the seed with someone, I've always found the better, right? And of course, by the time someone gets to the NBA, um, there, there's a lot of trust stuff comes up because everyone wants their attention. Everyone wants to give them something. So a lot of the work I've done is it's to build relationships and build connections. And most of the players that you've mentioned, I met them all when they were teenagers. So it wasn't that they were in the NBA reaching out to me. It was that I happened to be around Carl when he was 16, 17 years old and his family uh, at a basketball camp, right? And I just start teaching being present. And all of a sudden you can see it in his eyes, like, okay, this means something. I know this, this is a thing. And at the same time, I'm presenting these same skills to say a hundred kids. And all I would look out for is who are the ones who kind of are looking at you going, hey, th this is something, let me check it out. And so when Carl went to college at Kentucky, you know, we, we text all the time. That's the way a lot of the work is working with young people is you got to be able to communicate real simply in text and then an occasional check-in on the phone. And then as he gets into the NBA, it's like he's off and running. He just does his thing, you know? And I'm like, okay, my work is complete. He's there. And that's how it was with Jalen Brown. You know, he was just a 15-year-old kid at a basketball camp I was working at, quiet. And I remember talking about being present and all this stuff. And he was curious. So we, you know, exchanged numbers. And then the next summer he blew up as a basketball player and he texted me and he was like, hey, there's all these shoe companies at my high school practice. This is crazy. And then we worked on focusing on what you can control. And that was most of our work, working on breathing while he was in college. And then he gets to the NBA and he's got the tools to kind of function. And that was the same way with Ben Simmons, you know. So none of them were pros reaching out to me. It was all kids that I was like, you know, I, I, I would get invited to basketball camps. I would introduce mental training and say, let me be the mental coach for the camp. And it would always be kind of new and kind of something different. And I would just see the kids that wanted to train. Um, and a lot of times, once they make it to the NBA, it's kind of like the work is done. And then I was the director of mental training for the Utah Jazz for several years and did that. And that experience being there, you do have to build trust. So if you start off and everyone meets you as NBA players, you got to take your time. You know, and that's the main thing at that level is really taking your time, building connection as human beings, and then slowly just giving offerings to people, right? And here's something, something I've noticed that really helped is when I give an offering, like some, you know, being present or just information, I never want anything in return. And when you never want anything in return, it allows space for you to connect with someone and actually give them something or offer them something without it being like, hey, I need something back. And so that's one of the really guiding principles in what I do is just make sure I'm offering and I don't need any validation back. And that, that tends to open up some space. And look, we've heard these parallels in, in professional rugby. One of the most famous players in the world, Bowden Barrett, plays for the All Blacks, would often talk that before he's playing a big test match, he'd ground his feet on the pitch to nearly center himself and immerse himself in that present moment. So he's not thinking about yesterday or tomorrow or the next kick. He's just there now. And it, <laughs> And he's spoken about that quite a lot. And it's, uh, he's been two-time World Player of the Year. Curious as to when you're starting with a, with a basketball player, 16-year-old, 20-year-old, 5-year-old, 8-year-old, doesn't have to even be a basketball player, and you're there talking about presentness and, and being there in the now, where do you start? 
Great question. And I want to share a story about grounding. I have a cool story about that um, as well. You start with right here, right now. You point at your wrist and you say, hey, everyone, what time is it? And the answer is always right now. That is what time it is right now. You know what I mean? And then you say, you point down to your feet and you say, hey, where are you at? And your answer should be, I'm right here, right? I, I got to be where my feet are. And people kick in gear right in that moment. Like right when they become aware of the present, they're aware immediately of how often they're not present, just in that moment alone. <laughs> they're like, oh, I've been living in the past a lot of my life, or I've been worried about the future. You know, so that the awareness kicks in right away once you introduce it to someone, and then you can draw them into their breath, and they start becoming aware of their breath in the moment, and you're like, your breath's happening right now, and if you want to know how real your breath is, hold your breath, and in about 40 seconds, it's going to get really real, you know, because you'll realize in the present moment, life is begging you to stay alive, and you got to breathe in, and that's happening right now, every moment of the present, right? When you breathe in, it's essentially life. When you breathe out, it's essentially the opposite of life, right? Death. And then as you get to the end of your breath, you go, okay, breathe in, back alive. And you just do that process until it's over. So the present, you can get people connected to it right away. And once they're aware of it, a really cool thing to do, once you start thinking about being where your feet are, and the All Blacks, of course, what a legendary, maybe the greatest team of all time in all sports, in my opinion. I just, in, in, in an awe of them and how they are as a team, their energy, their bond. Of course, the Hakka, like it's, they, that's just the realest deal I've ever seen. So, and I've never even been around them, right? I and mean, I'm just a fan from afar. And to know that grounding, right? You take your shoes and socks off and you put your feet on earth. And this is what I would tell everyone listening. Like when was the last time your feet were on earth? Just really think about that. We were designed to be on earth for your feet to be on earth. It's one of the most present centering things you can do. When I was with the Jazz, um, they have a center named Rudy Gobert. He's, he's maybe the top defensive player in the world. The Jazz might be the best basketball team in the world right now. And we were on a practice down in L.A., and I was working with Rudy Gobert on being present and being where your feet are. And we came out of a practice, and you could tell there was we, our mind, everyone was just kind of scattered. And we saw this huge, huge field of grass. And I said, Rudy, when was the last time your feet touched earth? You know, in his French accent, you know, he was like, it's been a while, Graham, you know, he's like, and I said, okay, let's take off our shoes and socks right now and check this out. This is how you get present. You put your feet on the ground, just put your feet right on earth. And he did it. So we just take our shoes and socks off. And of course he wears like, I think like 21s or 20. So it's the biggest feet you've ever seen in your life. And we just go, <laughs> and we just go stand there on the grass and we're putting the feet on the grass and it feels so good, right? You just start to get grounded. And he's like, you know, the captain of the team. So he, you know, security is like, hey, Graham, what's going on? What are you guys doing? I'm like, hey, man, Rudy wants to do this. And then you see a couple other teammates come up, right? They take their shoes and socks off and they put their feet down. And everyone just kind of gets in the moment for a second, gets that real good present experience, you know? So that experience of knowing how to physically ground yourself in the moment and touch earth with your feet is, to me, one of the best things you can do. And after we did that, Rudy would send me pictures of his feet in different like grass situations. <laughs> he, he, he would like text me on vacation and be like, look at my feet. I'm, I'm on earth. And I'd be like, okay, great job. So that, <laughs> that's, that's something to practice for sure. And wow, that's a, what a cool story. I didn't know that story about him from the All Blacks. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a great one. Um, one of the best things I think that you mentioned is when you build on that being present, you mentioned that when the stakes of the moment go up, that you have to be trust and you have to have acceptance and you have to be vulnerable. Can you elaborate on that a bit more? Yeah. First of all, great job. Way to know that stuff. That ultimately for an athlete, 
Once you realize the present moment is the only moment you can make a play in whatever you're doing, clearly it's the place to be. Clearly right now is the time. Clearly right here is the place. And clearly this moment is yours, right? Those are the affirmations that you tell yourself. And so one of the really important things to being present is trusting and accepting. Because why would you not want to be present? Because you don't trust something's going to go your way and you cannot accept failure. That's generally why people won't come into the present, right? They'll come there if they know it's going to be okay. But they don't go there if they're like, ah, I don't, you know, I don't want to lose or make a mistake. Of course, in sports, you purposely put an obstacle. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's like on purpose you're doing that. That's why being present is so challenging. So if you can accept vulnerability, right? If you can accept that feeling of vulnerability, you can already be present almost a hundred percent of the time. Because if you're willing to be vulnerable and show up in the moment, which simply means I'm going to be in my body, fully here, and then here comes the trust. What does trust mean? Whatever sport you're playing, it usually comes down to a simple, couple simple movements. And I'm not trying to belittle any sport whatsoever, but say like basketball, you're like, what does it come down to? Like flicking your wrist with a ball in your hand. You know what I mean? The actual movement of basketball, people do the movement all day long. The hard part is the willingness energetically to be present when there's so many vulnerable things going on. So the trust that, hey, this is the place to be. I trust my game. I'm going to fully accept whatever happens. And what that means is you literally say this, I accept absolute failure and I accept the greatest winning of all time. And I accept anything in between because I cannot control that. What I'm going to do is commit to fully being present and then I'm going to see what happens. And I know it sounds crazy to accept failure, but if you're resisting failure, you are going to sabotage your ability to be present because you're not willing to be there. That's like the great warrior going into battle, hoping not to die. You're already dead if you do that. You have to go in there, already sacrifice that thing that wants to flee the moment. And that's when your best comes out. So trusting, accepting, and vulnerability is where it takes off. That, that, that is the essence, in my opinion, of unlocking greatness and then being devoted to it over and over and over and over again. Love that. And Graham, if we're going to look across different sports for a minute, let's, you know, yeah. golf, next swing in golf, soccer, you've missed the previous penalty. Now you're up to the plate basketball you missed the first free throw next one to bring the game into overtime for those instances across different sports when there could be a bit of a cloud there could be a bit of doubt you're trying to be in the present but the last play didn't quite go to plan what 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 should the inner dialogue be there or what would you be trying to nearly i suppose shout to that player in their ear to help them get set and in the present to just focus on now I would say this, right? If we start from the whole approach is proactive mental skills training. Clearly, if I'm on the sideline working with someone, I've already taught them all this stuff. You know what I mean? If, if we've never, ever introduced this stuff and you see someone completely lost their mind and they're not here and you say, focus, that's going to be meaningless because you haven't practiced, right? So the whole idea is, okay, for a long time, we practice being present. And this player knows the language of next play and next play speed, which means how fast can I let go of what just happened? Come back to this play. So if that training was there, I'd look at that player and say, take a breath, next play. And I'd say, come back to this play, use your eyes. And if you can use your eyes, I see what's really happening on the field, on the pitch, on the court, in the pool, right? Eyes are real. What's going on in your mind? 99% of the time, none of that stuff is real. It's made up. So what you want to do is come back to what you see. What do you see? Find your breath. Here we go. Now, if we practice that every day, boom, you can snap back in a moment. 
right? If we've never practiced it, that player is going to look at you like you're crazy and just self-sabotage. And then after that, of course, you'll, you'll start training every day with this. So really, it's a reminder. It's like, hey, can I do these little quick reminders to come into the next play, use my eyes, find my breath, and what we say is see. See what's really here, and then choose your response to what's really here. And then once you start to do that, the other thing is don't think that you're going to get rid of self-doubt the whole time, right? If you're, The idea of confidence is not, oh my God, I never have self-doubt. I always feel magical. It's just euphoric. That's not confidence, right? That's fantasy land. So confidence is, you know, maybe 15, 20% of your career at the most, you're going to be in the zone, have this euphoric moment where everything feels great. Everything's going your way. So confidence is really about the other 80% of the time, your willingness to be in the moment and trust and accept. So let's say this, let's say you have a bunch of thoughts in your head that are saying, I have self-doubt. As long as you know to trust and accept, you can still trust and accept even with all that self-doubt. And as soon as you trust and accept and you allow the self-doubt to be there, that self-doubt starts to slowly dissolve because it has no power over you. So you don't wish it away. You don't hope to like clear your mind to be perfectly there. You just say, whatever's here today, I'm still going to trust and accept. Nothing's going to stop me. Seriously, nothing. Like I could feel funny, feel vulnerable, have nothing go my way, and I'm still going to trust and accept. And that's what confidence is. So confidence isn't a feeling that you feel great and then you're willing to be in the moment. Confidence is really courage in disguise. And you say, I'm going to be in the moment, trust my stuff. Even though my brain is clouded with self-doubt, I'm still going to do it. <laughs> you know, and, then, and that's called liberation. And so the only way you know you're doing this right is if you feel liberated and terrified at the same time. What, what we can't do is just hope to feel euphoric all the time. That's not it. That's how you'll only be good like one out of 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> we always look to the outcomes. And this is something you mentioned before, and I've heard you say it a few times, is that a lot of the time we can be too focused on what's going to happen, what the score is, what the, the ultimate outcome we're looking for, even in business, if we're looking to do a sale and we don't control them things, we control what we do and how we can impact that moment. Can you tell us a bit more about that piece? For sure. Look, I love outcomes. I love winning. I love great results. I love money. I love all that stuff. But I've found it sabotages you if that becomes your foundation. So your foundation has to be way stronger than results and outcomes, right? Your foundation has to be like 10 times more potent. So if you look at my resume, this is real. You might've heard this one, but my resume is crazy, right? And I, I can't even explain it. My resume is so out of this world that I'm like, holy shit. Some people actually think I'm like an expert or like, you know, one of the top in the world. And the funny thing to me is if you look at my resume of failures, it's a hundred times longer and way more impressive. And that's the real foundation that I stand on. And the failure is not that I failed and kept doing the same thing. It's just that I learned and I learned and I learned and I learned. So I think we have to track metrics that actually get you good outcomes. So I started to realize the best thing to track was how present are you? So your outcome after you perform is like, what was my play present percentage? Because people love math. They love numbers. They just love it. So I'm like, give them a number to think about that actually matters. So after, after you perform or have a business meeting or whatever you do, how much did you trust and accept, right? Not panic and make sure you get the deal or get the money. Like you got to let go of all that. You got to be willing to lose the whole deal. And you got to come in there so present, so alive, so there that all of a sudden the most incredible words come through you that you can deliver in a moment because you're there, you're present and your vision for the business or vision for whatever you're doing comes out. Instead of you panicking, thinking about if I don't get this deal, that's not it. I track how present. Am I? 
Because on a deep level, the most present team, person, company, they're going to win. You know what I mean? Like that's unquestioned. I feel like I'm cheating by knowing not to worry about outcomes and results and focus on being present. Because I know if it's even close level of competition, the person who's more present, of course, they're going to win. That's how this works. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so I'm kind of like, oh, man. Yeah, no, no. Don't get caught up in outcomes and you'll end up having the greatest outcomes ever. Get caught up in your presence. Get caught up in how much did you trust and accept. So if you're going to track metrics, 100% presence and 100% trusting and accepting, do that. Do that math. And I know right away the part of you that's intellectual understands that. Like, of course, that's going to win. That becomes the secret to success. The challenge is everyone, after you play a game, what's the first thing they ask? What, what were the results? They're not asking, hey, hey, how present were you? Or how much did you trust? People don't get paid off that yet. They get paid off outcomes and results, but the root is presence. So that's where we go with our, with our focus. When we have conversations with people on this, we often find common denominators, and they're the ones that people tend to talk about, but not often practice. You've managed to blend experience, philosophy, and psychology, Graham, to, to come up with a, with a really cool, insightful, and easy-to-do practice, the MVP acronym being that. And I'd love you to just unpack that for our listeners, because if people can take substance from that and start using it, wow, it's going to make a difference for them. Beautiful. So I, I, in my mind, I always try to make things as simple as possible to make it bite-sized because again, my approach is this is training, right? So you have to practice every day. So if we, if we know we have to practice a little bit every day, my mind was always thinking, well, what's a reasonable amount of time? You know, what about like five or 10 minutes? You know, something like that. And so what came to me was this combination of three skills that are super powerful. And I was inspired by Dr. Jerry Lynch, one of my early mentors, uh, just an incredible mental skills coach, just phenomenal. He has a book called Thinking Body, Dancing Mind. And in it, he breaks down he, at the end of every chapter, he has these little sections where it has like visualizations and affirmations. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. And, and, and in my mind, what came to me was, wow, I could put an, if I put a MVP, I could have a meditation, a visualization, and then powerful self-talk in this little acronym. And Jerry Lynch told me, he said, Graham, take it and run, man, take it. And he blessed me because it was from him. He said, I got it from like Buddha. Or you know what I mean? Like people who are doing this work, they don't possess anything. They know it comes from somewhere else and they're just here to share. So he told me to take it and run and make something people could connect with. And I knew my voice more so than my writing was going to be how I connect with people so the MVP is a little technique, a little couple minutes of meditation, a couple minutes of visualizing, a couple minutes of powerful self-talk, and there you go. And I started doing it with athletes. I do it over a phone. You know, They call me on the training table. They call me on the bus. They call me in the hotel room. And they say, hey, man, let's lock in. Let's get in the zone. Let's do a little MVP. You know, So it just became a thing we did. And then over the last 12 months, I've just been making tons of music. And so I've been making these MVPs and putting music behind them. Because I love music and I, a lot of athletes love music and it's just an easy way to help people train. You just put it on and you got a nice little easy 15-minute MVP. It's not evasive. You don't have to talk. You can have your eyes closed. You can have your headphones on. It's just it's the simplest way that I've found that I can reach people and I can make one MVP and send it to like a thousand people. One aspect that I'm looking back here over my notes and I'm just thinking, you've been on a journey with some of the most elite talents that have made it to the NBA 
you've been with them for so long and you've obviously helped out and worked with so many people in the organizations like the Utah Jazz. I'm wondering, have you noticed similar characters, their traits that make them get to the top level? What is it that Dwight Powell, Zach Levine, Jalen Brown have that get them to the NBA as opposed to the millions of other kids who are trying to do as well? And it's, it's far beyond their bodies because one of the first things you might say is, wow, they're, they're gifted physically. And of course, there's that, right? Of course, there's that. But what I've noticed, as soon as you ask that question, they all have a vision. They all had a vision for their life. They all had something they saw and then a willingness to do the work. And where it really hit home, I know I met Zach Levine at 19. We worked together for about six or seven weeks before we got drafted. And I introduced play present and next play speed. And he was like, oh, I need this so bad. He's like, man, if I'd have had this back in high school, man, I'd have been so much better. He knew he needed it and he practiced it and he practiced it. When I first started working with Aaron Gordon, I remember his high school coach said, Graham, come down here, do a mental training workshop with my team. We've got a kid who's special. He's 13. He's on the varsity. So I go down to the coach's house and all the kids are there. And uh, Aaron Gordon is there, right? He's 13 years old. He's super skinny. He's, I mean, he's 6'6", six, six, right? So you can tell he's tall. And I'm like, all right, but there's some grown men on his team, right? He's on a good high school basketball team. And so I sit down and do the workshop with him. And when I'm done with the workshop, when about an hour, I said, does anyone have any questions? You know, and nobody raised their hand, but Aaron Gordon. And he's 13 years old and he raises his hand with confidence. I mean, his hand shoots up and I say, okay, what's your question? He goes, I really have no idea what you just said because that was too complex. But he said, I know where I'm going. I need that. So you're going to have to say that again because I need that in my life. (laughs) I'd never seen anything like that, uh, let alone from a 13-year-old saying he didn't know what was going on. And he he said it with so much confidence. So I I knew right away, oh, he is special. And it wasn't physical. Like he couldn't even dunk. You know what I mean? He was still like could barely move. And it was like, wow, but look at his willingness to grow. He already, his vision, already knew where he was going. And he knew that he had no idea what I was talking about, but that he needed mental training. So he was going to try again to listen, you know? And so they have a vision. They all had a vision for where they were going. Love that. And just to build a little bit further, like the clarity there, right? The just the direction, um, nearly the strive to arrive piece, right? Which, we, which we've seen from, from your work. What about those individuals that really are striving to achieve something but they've taken hits, you know? So maybe it's an entrepreneur who set up a business this year. It didn't quite work out. Maybe it's an athlete made to a team, traded, didn't quite work out. He was cut, didn't quite work out. Didn't get drafted, didn't quite work out. What can you help? What piece of advice can you give to those individuals that need to get back on the horse? A couple concepts that I came up with in the English language that didn't exist because the English language is very limited with describing internal internal language. So one of them is walk to win. The other one is lethal patience. And then of course you said the first one, strive to arrive. So it's basically always taking our time and realizing why would I hurry and quit something? Like if you really want something and your heart is telling you, go get cut a whole bunch of times. Just keep showing up. Don't quit. Have lethal patience. You know, people ask me all the time, how do I work with NBA players? And I say, hey, go work with a 13 year old near your house and I'll see you in 10 years. And they just laugh at me because they don't even realize I'm serious. I'm like, oh, you think I'm joking? Like, you need to be so tuned into the moment and following your heart that you love what you're doing so much, you're not in a hurry to get anywhere else in the world. And then I ask them, do you want to know the day you're going to die? You know, and they all say no. And I'm like, okay, so get back to now and let's go. Like, who knows when it's going to happen for you, but get back and show up. 
And the analogy I always use is a baby learning to walk. What if a baby fell down one time and they refused to like keep trying to learn to walk? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we would never walk. So that's we're hardwired to not try something one time and we get it and everything goes our way. Like that can't be life, right? That can't be life. Can't be that everything just goes exactly how you want it to go the first time. Like that would be crazy. So you kind of embrace the pleasure of the moment. And you here's the big one. You have to surrender timing and you have to be more into direction than timing. Everyone is anxiously running to results. That's why they quit because they're so anxious and they go, oh, it didn't happen right away. So I'm out. Your result is how present are you, right? So you have to shift all your metrics. So you're not trying to think I'm pursuing happiness. It's I'm experiencing joy now. Even the language of pursuing happiness takes you out of now. It's telling you it's not here, right? And how subtle is that? We've heard that our whole life. Hey, pursue happiness, work hard. Holy cow, that'll pull you out. Joy now, work joyously. That's way more powerful. <laughs> if, you, if I tell an athlete to work joyously for an hour, they'll end up working for three hours. If I tell an athlete to work hard for an hour, they want to shut it down after 45 minutes. You know what I mean? So it's all based on how you look at this. So it's just about not falling for that trap and coming back to where we are. And yeah, you might, you might fall down a bunch of times, keep showing up. That's why I tried to explain, look, my resume is one of the best, right? But what's even more profound? My resume of failures. So it's kind of how it goes, right? That's the process. That's, that's how it works. That's the growth. That's how you learn. That's really kind of where it all takes off. Nice. You're doing such great work over at Lucid Performance with the likes of George Mumford and Brandon Marshall. It's funny that you just mentioned the now. I'm going to try and take you out of the now and ask you, what's next? What's in the future for Graham? Man, well, um, like I'm making a lot of music right now. So I'm doing, I'm doing 12 live mental skills music shows this year. I did my first one last month. I'm going to do another one tomorrow, actually, tomorrow night, 6 p.m. here uh, online. And uh, I just, I'm putting myself out there with music. I recorded three albums in the last 12 months that I'm going to be slowly releasing forever. I mean, I have endless songs that want to come through me. And then I'm doing a, uh, I'm doing a television show where I'm going to start interviewing with another colleague of mine. We're bringing on athletes and musicians and people from the medical profession. And we're just going to talk mindset and how we get in the zone and best practices. And so for the next year, it's a lot of content, doing some TV, doing some music. And, uh, you know, I'm married with two kids. So that's, that's my main life, you know, is being with them and uh, really just trying to make a lot of content and produce a lot of good stuff to help people out in the world, like really make it so people can really have access to this stuff. Love what you said there about the main part with the family. That's that's what I've picked up there. Yeah, um, for sure. For sure, man. But Graham, the story is, is is something and there's so much, there's so many tangible pieces we can all take from this. So everyone just go back, listen to this several times. Anyone who's come on the show, we always finish with a very simple, clear question, Graham, which is what does high performance mean to you? Really good. For me, I'll say it like this. You have to define what success is for you. Start with that. I was just on a call the other day with a couple billionaires and a couple uh, pro athletes on this call, a mental health call. And it's funny, like billion dollars, it's not going to do anything for you on the inside. It's a novelty and it goes away. And so the whole thing is defining success yourself. And I think when people say, when they hear like, hey, this person's successful, 99% of the time people think, okay, that person's made money. And that's our main drive. Like that's success. I want you to evolve success and look at this, that peak performance to me is how powerful is your presence and what's the impact of your actions? Simple as that. And that all exists right now. 
right? It exists how we're communicating to each other right now. It's, it exists in what's happening with people listening right now. So more so than a piece of paper that tells you your self-worth is some number that's made up, define success and peak performance as your ability to be present and how potent you are in the present, and then watch the impact of that. That's how I define it. Graham, we'd like to say thank you very much for giving us your, your time today. We're really grateful. We really enjoyed every minute of it. And uh, we were totally, totally present with it all. So <laughs> look, wish, wish you all the best. Stay fit, stay safe, stay healthy, all that stuff. Um, best luck with your family. Please stay in touch. Thanks a lot. Thank you both so much. It's been an honor. This was great. Thanks, Graham. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan. <laughs>